The ocean covers the vast majority of the Earth. This is sort of the last frontier. There's parts of it that simply haven't been explored. So when you compare to the amount of exploration and time and research that we spend, you know, looking at other planets and looking into space, it's way more than the amount of time and investment that we spend protecting our oceans, understanding how it works, and understanding its impact on our direct human lives. The ocean can be neglected when we think of the future. It has a huge impact on things like weather, sea level rise, the biodiversity, where are we getting our food, where are we getting our air? All of those sort of critical things to life are coming from the ocean and um, we're not really spending a lot of time protecting it or uh, thinking about the future. In an ever-changing climate, we forget about the ocean at our peril. It provides over half the world's oxygen, absorbs a huge amount of carbon, and is the primary source of food for over three billion people. But global heating, plastic pollution, and overfishing are all threatening to unbalance it. So this time on Future Lab, the podcast brought to you by Randox and the Goodwood Festival of Speed. Join me, Lucy Johnston, as I explore how new technology can help us protect our oceans. From an uncrewed sailing drone that can enter the eye of the storm. You know, being one of the people who could get the video from the drones in the middle of the storm was pretty awesome. To a brand new sport, which could help clean up our marine spaces. What if these guys had a sports series based on electric race boat. How nice that would be. I'm originally from South Florida, so I've always lived really close to the ocean. I really like to, to go out. Um, I actually enjoy scuba diving. I like to sort of go even deeper and, and sort of see sea life down there as well. This daring deep-sea explorer is Kim Sparling, VP of product at a company called Saildrone. Saildrone builds these really awesome, basically robotic sailboats to collect data around it, to monitor the ocean, and to get a better understanding as to how, you know, over 70% of our planet works and what its health looks like. The idea for these drones was born like so much of the technology we hear about on Future Lab, from a mission to be the fastest in the world. Our founder, Richard Jenkins, he spent most of his uh, sort of young adult life dedicated to breaking the land speed record. Except for this record, you're only allowed to use one thing for power, the wind. So he, in a very, very small team, spent a, a fair amount of time basically designing a land yacht. Really what he found throughout the different iteration cycles and, and trials was a particular design that lets you control and manipulate this, this very large craft, but with a, a fraction of the energy. And it basically lets you go really fast, but solely powered by wind. Really, I think the, the special sauce is being able to leverage sort of low power technology to have high performance output. The design of his craft, the Greenbird, was so sophisticated that it was able to travel five times faster than the wind propelling it. 
So on a windy day in the Mojave Desert in 2009... He was able to break the land speed record using that technology. It was 126 miles per hour. After 10 years of hard work, he had smashed the previous record by 10%. But after a decade working towards a singular goal, what could be the next challenge? And after he did that, he sort of worked with different partners to understand how can you sort of build a business around it. And Richard is also incredibly passionate about the oceans. And and so that was sort of why he started SailDrone. They eventually landed on the perfect way to use this technology, to gather ocean data without needing crew or fuel. But to go from this super-fast land design to a super-sturdy water one required a few tweaks. We're relying on them to cross oceans and to deal in some of the harshest conditions. So, yeah, it's a it's a huge leap, but uh, a lot of this, like, similar technologies. We've obviously upgraded it quite a bit to handle being uncrewed. You know, with sail drones, there's no one there. So we've spent a lot of time investing in the, the controls, the electronics, and also on making them incredibly rugged. The ocean is not always a friendly place. Yeah, they're self-writing, so they can roll completely underwater and and self-write. I think that we've become experts in waterproofing everything. (laughs) There's a lot of just like skill and talent on our team for designing and engineering the sort of electronics and robotic systems that can withstand anything from frozen conditions up in the North and South Poles to incredibly hot and humid conditions around the equator. Without crew, they use a combination of remote pilots and autonomous navigation. The way that we navigate the SEAL drones is that we send a series of waypoints and the drone knows how to navigate between each waypoint. And then the the pilots and mission managers, they basically will monitor that route and also try to make certain optimizations depending on, you know, ship traffic, ocean currents and wind speeds. And then there's a data gathering. These sail drones are kitted out from head to toe, or rather sail to keel, in high-grade sensors. So just starting at the very top of the wing, so those are sensors to collect wind speed and direction, barometric pressure, air temperature and humidity, different types of temperature. These sensors can tell you things about ocean surface temperature and how gases move in and out of the ocean, both very important for understanding climate change. There's different acoustic sensors that we can put down into the keel, and those acoustic sensors can be used anywhere from, you know, mapping the seafloor to get a better picture as to what's on the bottom. There's acoustic Doppler current profilers, or ADCPs. Um, These are used to measure ocean currents um, and basically mixing of the water. Or other acoustic sensors can be used to measure fish stock Uh, So acoustic backscatter of different types of fish, which is really helpful for understanding biodiversity, um, informing fish stock quotas. We've also designed a a camera system so that there's actually a 360-degree view around the drone. Full to brim with sensors, sturdy enough to survive the ocean, and fully waterproof, they were ready for their data-gathering missions. Our most common type of drone is our Explorer platform. So it's 23 feet long, 15 feet tall is the wing. They're usually bright orange um, and say a scientific vehicle. It kind of looks like if you were to take an airplane wing and put it on 
a kayak, basically. So it's like an airplane wing on a kayak painted like a safety cone. Uh, because they're wind and solar powered, the, the drones have an incredibly long endurance. So we keep our sail drones out for you know, several months, if not up to a year at a time. That's really great for a couple of reasons. One, you know, they, they have a very low carbon footprint. So from an environmental standpoint, but also purely from a data collection standpoint, they're able to take really long journeys and stay out for long periods of time. And it also cuts down on some of the risk. So when we're going to places like the Southern Ocean or into the eye of a hurricane or up to the Arctic Circle, you don't have to put humans in harm's way. Being wind and solar powered is, you know, what our ancestors did when they were exploring the Earth. And this is sort of a, a nod back to that. And like true explorers, the sail drones are heading on missions into uncharted waters. But can they survive the worst the ocean has to throw at them? Coming up. Future Lab is brought to you by Randox. Over the years, Randox Health has been gradually expanding its list of health screenings available to the public. These have all been made possible by the Randox Biochip, a small ceramic microchip that can provide accurate and rapid diagnoses of a wide range of medical conditions. One such test is the thyroid biochip. The thyroid is a butterfly-shaped gland found in the neck that produces hormones that regulate your metabolism and body processes such as heart rate, temperature, calorie usage, fertility, and more. Under- and overactive thyroid glands can disturb the normal regulation of these processes. Hypothyroidism is a condition where the thyroid underproduces hormones. It's found in 2% of the UK population, which increases to 5% in those over 60. Women are 5 to 10 times more likely than men to be affected, and long-term consequences of the disease include high cholesterol and increased risk of stroke and heart attack. Overactive hormone production in the thyroid is known as hyperthyroidism and affects 2% of Britons. If this goes untreated, it can lead to the development of abnormal heart rhythms, eye problems and complications during pregnancy. Randox recognized the need to test for both hypo and hyperthyroidism. Later in the episode, we'll learn more about the screening for these conditions, but for now, back to the Future Lab podcast. In 2021, in late September, Hurricane Sam began ripping across the Atlantic Ocean. It was the fifth longest, most intense storm on record since 1966, and there were fears it would devastate Bermuda with its 250 kilometre an hour winds. As climate change ramps up, intense weather events like this are more common, but predicting how they move and intensify is really difficult. Growing up in South Florida, it hits pretty close to home. Um, like I remember, you'd have to stay home and stay in shelter when there are really bad hurricanes. So Sail Drone, teaming up with the National Hurricane Centre, attempted to go to the most dangerous part of the storm to gather crucial data. And actually one of the five drones ended up in the eye of Hurricane Sam, which ended up being a Category 4 hurricane. And we were able to sort of actively pilot the drone to stay in the eye wall, which is the, the toughest part of a storm. 
and you know it survived unscathed. Uh, we actually got some really awesome video from inside the, the eye wall. Yeah, in addition to a lot of other really great data, um, which is going to be used for storm intensification research. Their engineering work held firm and the sail drone survived, providing data we had never seen before. So really understanding ocean dynamics and, and the data collected from that mission is going to be super important. You know, being one of the people who could get the video from the drones in the middle of the storm was pretty awesome as well. There are currently a hundred of these drones embarking on all sorts of missions, including going around the Antarctic. Kim gets to see their adventures firsthand. Uh, we do have some pretty amazing pictures of whales that we find underneath. And I feel like every few months there's sort of internal debates around, hey, like, what is this bird that we saw in this image? Or uh, what is this crazy, is this a dolphin or is this some kind of porpoise? Uh, what's the difference? That sparks an internal debate. <laughs> um, it's not uncommon for seals to actually jump aboard and to take a little break. Um, so we have some pretty adorable pictures of some passengers. Everyone's on the lookout for the next seal picture. And these missions are dictated by sail drones clients for three main types of research. One vertical we call ocean data. So that's working with research institutions, academics, governmental organizations like NOAA and NASA to collect scientific data about our oceans. And so you can use that data for weather and climate monitoring, for understanding fish stock, for just understanding different ocean dynamics. The second vertical we work in is called bathymetry or ocean mapping. So that's working with commercial organizations or governmental organizations that need to understand the seafloor. So that's for safety of navigation. And then the, the third area that we operate in is what we call maritime domain awareness. Um, so that's working with navies and coast guards around the world to monitor for different vessel traffic and different behavior that's happening on the ocean. And while this is a massive deal for ocean research, they're always exploring new ways to use their technology, from search and rescue to the odd spot of treasure hunting. Yeah, definitely. There's, I feel like we always get an interested party that's interested in doing like treasure hunting or finding black boxes. We haven't had the opportunity to do any of that work just yet, uh, but it's definitely something that we always like say, hey, we need to add a, a budget item for treasure that we find. So while the ocean is in trouble, Kim is optimistic that data collection can be key to protecting the future because you can't solve a problem until you understand it. You know, we don't really look at the data as like gloomy or like happy or sad or anything like that. I think just like the collection of it in the first place, we think is, is really critical. Without having any data, we think that it's hard to make good decisions. And the fact that we are able to collect these data sets, I think is actually really exciting. Um, and it's really arming our users with the tools that they need to inform how do we mitigate things in the future and how do we make better decisions. So I think just the ability to collect it in the first place is setting ourselves up for success. I mean, for anyone that eats seafood, likes to go swimming or you know, cares about the weather. Um, the, the ocean has a huge impact on all of those things. And like having a better understanding of the health of it affects your daily life and affects your future.
Future Lab is brought to you by Randox. Earlier, we distinguished between hypo and hyperthyroidism. An easy way to identify thyroid disease is with a simple blood test that can be conducted on the Randox biochip. Hormone levels can determine whether one's thyroid is working properly, so the thyroid assay performs a comprehensive screening to measure thyroid-stimulating hormone, hormones produced by the thyroid gland, known as FT4 and FT3, as well as thyroid antibodies. An untreated sufferer of hypothyroidism may experience symptoms such as fatigue, weight gain or difficulty losing weight, cold intolerance, and low moods while those with hyperthyroidism may experience sweating, palpitations, nausea, anxiety, unintentional weight loss, or difficulty sleeping. Learning about a thyroid issue before it develops into something worse will prevent further issues down the road. If you want to take your health into your own hands and are interested in learning more about Randox's new thyroid health test, then please visit randoxhealth.com for more information. We just heard about wind and sun-powered drones, but what about vessels we ride on? Boats are, in general, pretty polluting. I was pretty impressed and upset to learn that basically the worst quality of uh, fuel is the one that has been used for navigating. Because, you know, people in the, in the very past, in the 60s, in the 70s, were saying... Uh, we can use this lower quality because it's going to go in the water. Nobody will notice. Nobody will care. I mean, unbelievable. And everyone knows this. This is why the engines on boats have always problems because they are not designed for this lower quality of fuel and they get smashed very easily. And they say, yeah, it's maybe it's the salt, the water. That's not the case. So I think that is a, this should be enough of a reason for everyone to really react and be responsible about what's happening in our planet, especially on the water side. And this is an incredible driver that is always in my mind to trying to do something about it. Coastal areas can be crucial to a local community's economy. And the most polluted waters are often also the places people swim in and get their food from. There is uh, embracing uh, an important matter of the planet, which is the condition of the water in the coastal area. And for this reason, we are very keen to accelerate the electrification process of the racing industry on water, but also the marine industry. Could electrifying boats, just like we're electrifying cars, make a difference? And if so, how do you go about it? I am Rodi Basso. I'm the CEO of the E1 Championship. E1 is a, a new sport and a new way to attack these very important problems that our most important ecosystem is experiencing, which is the water. Maybe the best way to greenify is to do it fast and have a bit of fun while you're doing it. The understanding that the water and coastal conditions are such that we have to do something about it. So we are building a new sport platform we will have an initiative that will provide a long-standing benefit to the cities, the teams, the sponsors throughout all the season and everywhere in the world. And in the same time, we are planning a series of initiatives to promote and provide development to local communities everywhere we go racing. 
You might have heard of Formula E, the electric racing championship. The E1 series will be a race for electric powerboats, coming to a coastal city near you. So the, the championship is based on uh, at least 10 races, and uh, we already have agreements uh, and for the first seasons. And the cities will be in places like Venice, Miami, Saudi, Monaco, Rotterdam, and so forth. And uh, so global uh, global scenarios for sure. And we will see 12 teams competing to the championship. The way we organize the race weekend is based on two days. The first one, it will be more about testing, whereas the second one will be the pure action made of qualifying and race. The race will be based on a tournament-like kind of format. So quarters, semifinal and finals. And there will be match races with four or five race boats at a time in order then to get to the finals and decide who is the winner. So how does one decide to invent a brand new sport? Hearing about Roddy's career, it's almost as if he's been preparing for it his whole life. I'm a, an aerospace uh, Italian engineer and uh, I've started uh, being interested in, in engineering uh, from uh, really, really long time. His engineering career took him to some incredible places, working at NASA before going to Formula One. He also worked on battery technology in Formula E, which is where the first flicker of the idea for E1 was sparked. The very beginning of E1 is in New York, where I went to watch um, a race, a Formula E race. And the race was, uh, and it still is in, uh, in Brooklyn area, very close to the shore, to the water. And I was there on the grandstand and I was watching these cars going very fast. And at a certain point there was a boat passing by and I thought, what if these guys had a support series based on electric race boat? How nice that would be. Roddy has always loved the ocean, especially when it's at its most peaceful. I'm incredibly passionate about sailing, about the water. I love the moment when I go sailing and uh, I switch the engine off and I only go with sails. That moment, which is very much into the sound, you know, how you go from the thermal engine noise to the complete sound. You start listening to the noise of the water against the hull and, and all these sort of things. I think that is, a, is very short in time, but very powerful as, a, as an emotion. This passion fizzed away in the back of Roddy's mind, but life carried on. Until during the pandemic, when everything stopped and he teamed up with the perfect partner. The best in class in building a new championship, Alejandro Hagag. Alejandro is a big name in motorsports and the brains behind Formula E. It was spring 2020, and so since we live pretty close in, in London, we started going around for like some fitness, some jogging, and trying to stay fit as much as possible during the pandemic. And we started brainstorming about everything, every possible thing. It was very, super interesting uh, almost every day or every other day. At a certain point, he mentioned to me that he had made an investment in a startup, interesting startup called Seabird Technologies. Seabird Technologies specializes in designing electric racing boats. Roddy's mind was suddenly buzzing with possibilities. So I came back to him and I said, listen, why don't we build 
a new sport platform, not only to support cyber technologies, but also to make a big change in sports as an industry. Roddy gave Alejandro a presentation outlining his idea. And then... Another 24 hours and I got the text from him saying, I'm on board, let's go for it. And so from that moment, we were meeting at this place, developing and building this vision and this product to the point that in September, we were in Monaco launching the championship just with a PowerPoint and a lot of smiles around. Yeah, that was really the the beginning. So they teamed up with Seabird and are building a prototype of the racer. They've called it the Racebird. The three areas are power boating, so in general, all the naval architecture side by a design and engineering standpoint. Then there is the motorsport and high-end automotive, which is very much everything related to electric and electronics, which is one of the core capabilities of Seabird technologies. And of course, the sailing for the foils. Foils allow the majority of the boat to rise above the water, meaning the friction is massively reduced. Because as we all know, the density of the water is 800 times higher than the air, and this means that the battery will last for longer. Where we're going to go testing is a lake, Lake Maggiore in Italy, and this is where 110 years ago an Italian engineer tested the first foil in the world. So it's pretty uh, an iconic place for this technology and naval architecture. When you take a 600 volt system into water, of course, there are many, many checks to be done on the safety side. And in the same time, there are some reliability issues linked to the higher torque density that you inherit as soon as you adopt a sustainable propulsion like the electric is. What I mean is that we are using an existing driveline and propeller. And of course, this driveline and propeller, we had to make sure by design that can get all the torque that you get instantly when you use an electric propulsion. And combined with the foil, this was for sure the way to go in order to be on the foil as early as possible and make sure that you can get the hull out of the waters, so gaining immediately a lot of efficiency. So it will be very interesting to see which driver will pick up immediately the best tactics in order to drive this boat as fast as possible around the corners. Roddy hopes this new championship will help our oceans in a few ways. One is through funding projects alongside their races. For sure, what we can do and what we want to do is to have concrete actions towards the coastal area regeneration and also the water regeneration. So to do that, we have engaged with the the most important marine biologist, or at least one of the most important, and we will announce him soon as a, a chief scientist of E1, and he will lead as a number of projects that we will propose to our potential partners in order to address large-scale actions in specific areas of interest, led by us, but hiring local people in order to be educated, trained, and then, of course, get a, a job to actually implement the project. Another is through developing electric infrastructure in their host cities. 
the idea that we share with the cities they are hosting the, the event of leaving our charging infrastructure even when we leave the location so that we want to attack in this way the paradigm for the automotive uh, industry that people are not buying the electric uh, cars for a few reasons of which one of these is the lack of infrastructure. And finally, through good old-fashioned inspiration. They're hoping that a high-energy sporting event will help people see electric transport in a new light. With the excuse of E1, you can uh, uh, work on a, on a championship, you can build electric race boat, you can showcase that going on an electric boat is still fun, exciting uh, and, uh, and incredible. The E1 is the demonstrator that you can enjoy and keep racing and enjoy an event, reducing as much as possible the impact of the event. In the meantime, we transfer the idea to the fans that they can start thinking of uh, buying an electric ribbon, an electric uh, leisure boat, because again, it's fun, it's enjoyable, it's possible, and it's uh, very electrifying by an acceleration uh, standpoint. The first prototype is going to be testing on the water over the coming months, and the first race won't be far behind. In fact, they'll be showing the boat at Future Lab Live this year at the Goodwood Festival of Speed. So grab your tickets now if you want to get a look for yourself. It's from the 23rd to the 26th of June, and I hope to see you there. Thank you very much to Roddy Basso from E1 and Kim Sparling from Saildrone. This is Future Lab, brought to you by Randox and the Goodwood Festival of Speed. If you've been enjoying the series, please do give it a rating and a review and tell your friends. I'm Lucy Johnston and thank you for listening. <laughs>